This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I am here with my friend and teammate, Christy Mellon. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Memphis. We are here with your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Um, if this is your first time listening, welcome. Uh, you can hear us on WYXR FM radio, thanks to our friends over there at 8 a.m. on Tuesday mornings, or you can find us every week uh, where all great podcasts are housed. Um, so uh, what we do on this uh, on the show is we bring you folks who are making change in Memphis, um, who are doing incredible things in our community, innovating for solutions, um, just people that Christy and I want to be when we grow up. So that's sort of how we approach the guest list. That's the best way to say it, honestly. Well, it's just like, who do I admire? Um, so today we have um, two amazing uh, Memphis assets that we're going to tee up for you. The first um, is a subject that I'm personally quite passionate about. I know Christy shares this as uh, well, literacy. So Literacy Mid-South um, is a, a long-storied organization in the city, but they have a new leader, uh, Sam O'Brien. Uh, he is... Uh, a, a long time in fan. I think he's been here for yeah. about a decade, but the, he is really fresh in his role over at Literacy Mid-South. And then after Sam, a little later in the show, we will have two representatives with us from the grant-making organization, the Jay Uberall Foundation. We'll have their board member, Jill Shanker, here to tell us all the great things they do. And also, New Memphis Fellows alumni and board member of one of their beneficiary programs, Reach Memphis, Will Perry, will be here to kind of give us the scoop on that side of things. So we're going to get an all-encompassing view today, and I hope you're ready. I, I'm, I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Honest, I'm, I'm almost ready. I feel like I'm a little bit. How was your weekend? I feel like we've, uh, I didn't even say hello to you. I feel like that's how it is. Like, it's like, hey, hi, how are you? Time, like to, time to work. Down to business. Yes. Um, my weekend was good. I got a lot of rest and relaxation in, which was very much needed. I'll bet. Um, I watched a lot of uh, TV. I caught oh. up on some Netflix binges. I was like, what are you watching? Uh, I watched all creepy things, which I should not do while yes. at my home. And just like, so I watched, finally got around to watching the third season of You. And then I also watched the new show Clickbait. Have you seen either of these I have things? not. I have not. I'm just saying, don't do it if you're not ready. I'm like... still trying to work up the courage <laughs> to watch Squid Game. <laughs> like, I was I told, I was like, my husband watched it, and I was like, okay. I, he was like, you don't want to watch this. I was like, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. But then, like, now everybody's talking about it, and um, it's, like, the biggest thing on the to. planet. Um, we're recording this in late October, so it may be by the time this airs episode this episode airs on in November that's, like, old news, like, Squid what? But it feels like um, like 100% of the zeitgeist right now is um, South Korean Squid Game. So, um, well, good. Well, um, let's, I guess, jump into the episode. Yeah, guys, don't, if, look, if you don't want your anxiety to be heightened, don't watch you or clickbait. But if you would like it to be lowered, please tune in for the episode that we're bringing let's, up. Look at, look at you and your segue. <laughs> look, thank you, guys. Oh, let's, like... let's go. Good morning, Sam. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Good. It is a beautiful morning in the 901 today. Yes, it is. <laughs> kind of crisp. but Right. And so we just are so excited to have you here and want to get to know a little bit more about you, honestly, and the work you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the listening audience. Sure. So Sam O'Brien. Uh, I am the executive director at Literacy Mid-South. I've been in the Memphis area for about nine years and um I would say this is my 10th or 11th week 
at, as the okay. executive director. I'm, I'm starting to lose count. Fairly at this point. new, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, it's a there's, good there's, sign. There's a yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot going on. Uh, a lot of uh, you know vision casting. A lot of you know operations planning. So after I think after around eight week eight, I started <laughs> to lose count. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, excited to be here. It's an exciting time to do the work. Uh, glad and honored to do it. And you know there are so many partners that we love to connect with. So again, appreciate being here. Uh, making this connection and hopefully uh, we can uh, build off this and expand our work a bit more. I hope so. I hope so. We're, we obviously understand how important the work is, but for those listening, obviously people know that literacy is, is reading, but what is, how do you guys define it? I know you guys have a diverse uh, spectrum of programs that engage both youth, but also adults. So just tell us a little bit about the mission of Literacy Mid-South and, and how that uh, comes to comes into the programming sure so i'll give a little a little history and then um to your point around what is a our our working definition of literacy so uh, we've been around since 1974 and at that time uh there was an it was an organization um i think it was memphis literacy council Mm -hmm. is what we were called at the time and the primary goal was to help adult learners there was a significant population at the time of adults uh, that had you know reading challenges uh, had you know varying levels of uh, reading proficiencies so that work is really what jump started where we are now so it was you know just kind of meeting the adults where they were uh, helping them to you know earn a high school equivalency or uh, even something as you know we may may look at it as simple but you know a, a grandparent wanted to read a favorite book to their grandchild so just helping adults all along that continuum um uh, around 2008 2009 uh, memphis literacy council merged with a group called mid-south reads and now this the iteration of that is literacy mid-south okay. and around 2011 and 2012 is when we started to really get into children's programming or programming for for younger younger learners is how we categorize it and so when we look at what we're doing right now, our programs really tend to function across uh, literacy across the lifespan. So we have programs that uh, for, you know, l- we have neonatal, neonatal programs. That is how we, um, uh, pre- excuse me, prenatal pro- programs is how we categorize that, where we work with expectant mothers uh, and their obstetricians and two major health um, uh, um, institutions here, one being Regional One, the other one being uh, Methodist South. Mm. So we work with those expectant mothers, get them literature materials, literacy materials that help them to read through their baby while they're in the womb. Mm. Uh, when they, when the baby gets here, when the baby is born, uh, we present them with a backpack that has continued uh, literacy uh, information that they can engage the child with, you know, and that newborn state, as well as a card to help them sign up for books from birth, mm-hmm. which helps the child to have a book every month uh, until they turn five years old. So that's our prenatal to five-year-old program. Uh, we a lot of our work during the summer focuses on the out-of-time space. So we have summer programs, and even during the school year, after-school programs, where we do a lot of just you know, support with after-school programs as far as around technical assistance, other supports, where we can make sure that their literacy activities are aligned with what is coming from the school district, from Shelby County Schools. So we you know, we tend to focus in on what does social-emotional learning look like through curriculum, through literature, through literacy in those after-school and out-of-school sites. And our last program is still uh, our um, adult learner program. Again, we probably focus in on about 100 adults per year. Um, meeting them again at those different levels. So again, there are adults that still want to get the high school equivalency. Um, there are adults that want to get to the next level of um, at their job, and it may require a, a literacy proficiency to do that. Uh, as well as again, we still have the grandparents that want to read to their grandchildren. That's lovely. 
Well, I know that, you know, when we talk about literacy, we think, okay, yeah, it's nice to know how to read. It seems right. like a fundamental um, uh, reality for everybody. But it's also, I know that literacy, especially um, for children as they progress, is really tethered to other areas of success. Um, so tell, I mean, for someone who's listening, who's like, why is this, how, why is it so important that kids, you know, under five have access to this stuff? Right. So when you think about the, um, I think you would say your, your formative years of learning. Um, and when you think about a K through 12 sort of continuum, um, first, second, third grade is when you are learning to read, um, fourth grade on you're now, uh, reading to learn. Mm. Right. So what happens is when when you're when you ha you have to make sure that students are proficient, ideally by the third grade, because the curriculum does this shift where everything is a lot more literacy focused. Even, you know, of course, there's always going to be literacy involved with science and social studies, but there's also literacy involved in math. For example, you know, I, I'm my youngest child, my daughter, she is uh, she's in the first grade. So a lot of the math that she's doing is, you know, one plus one, you know, no, single digit addition, double digit addition. But when the third grade, fourth grade comes around, you, you tend to see more word problems. So now it becomes you have to do the math, you have to read, and you have to comprehend what you're reading. Mm -hmm. Because, again, that curriculum shift happens around third, fourth grade. So, again, if, uh, if a child is not at a certain level of proficiency around the third grade, we could kind of track, you know, what uh, success is going to look like for that child. So to your point, one reason why literacy is so important is not just being able to have a book and read it. It's being able to read it, you know, identify sight words, being able to use phonics correctly, uh, being able to understand what blends are, and, but then also being able to comprehend what is being read. So uh, with sight words, you can, a child can rattle off sight words, but that does not mean that that child can read and comprehend. Mm. So again, this, these are the things that we kind of focus in on with the work that we do. We want to make sure, of course, that not only is this tied to social emotional learning, also that is culturally relevant. Oftentimes, you know, children, we look at a district like Shelby County Schools, it's 80% African American and has a rising uh, Latino and Hispanic speaking population. So the curriculum and the material that they have needs to be reflective of who they are. Uh, otherwise, you, know, you will have things where you know, students may not want to be fully involved with the lesson simply because they don't see themselves there. Mm. So there's, there's, there's layers to a lot of this. So it's not just having uh, a general book that a kid can read and say, hey, now you're a reader. You have to make sure that they see themselves in the text, uh, that they comprehend what is going on, and then that they can apply it to other subjects uh, as they get into the, the higher grades, fourth grade on up. Yeah, the work you guys are doing is very crucial, I feel, across the board. But what makes it so imperative that you do this work here in Memphis? Well, so we have a, we've had, I would say, um, challenges uh, is one way to, to, to put that with, with, with literacy proficiency mm -hmm. uh, when it relates to standardized testing. So across the state, all public school children take what is called the TCAP, it's the Tennessee Comprehensive Assessment Program. And what it does, it grades or uh, it, 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 will, it, will, it will grade school districts across grade bands uh, based on proficiency. Uh, so you have um, uh, the third to fifth grade, that grade band, um, sixth through eighth, which is another grade band, which is middle school, then ninth through twelfth, which is high school, uh, the, the last grade band. And what the, the assessment does, it ranks uh, or, or you know, it captures the information on a, on a scale. So at the TCAP, um, it has levels such as below basic, basic, proficiency, 
uh, proficient and advanced. Hmm. Uh, being proficient is the measure of success when it comes to literacy. Okay. Over the last few years, uh, Shelby County Schools has kind of recorded for the third through fifth grade band uh, anywhere between 25 to 30 percent proficiency across that. Um, so what that means is, I mean, there is a bunch of different underlying factors. We know that there are several challenges that families face here in Memphis, and you know we can we can we can get into those, and then, but we still would have enough time to discuss fully uh, the impact of those. But um, one reason why it's imperative is that again, if you are raising uh, a generation of children who are not met proficiency, it begins to create problems down the line. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a graph I think that the district uses where uh, if they're not proficient by third grade, uh, you you tend to come into issues where 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 discipline may come into place. And, and, and we have to categorize this in the right way because I don't want to paint it as if children are inherently bad or anything like that. Uh, it's just, you no, know, the function of school requires one step before the other. Mm. And if you're not meeting that first step, if you're not reading that proficiency step, things are complicated after right. that. So uh, what it means is, you know, you know, we've Memphis being ground zero for ed reform. There's there's the conversation we've got to have around what does uh, literacy really look like for uh, a, a city with the history of Memphis? Uh, what does literacy look like for children that come into the space? Uh, every child comes in, again, with a level of comprehension that is relative to their environment. So children are not, they're not falling behind, they're not falling behind when they walk in the building. We just have to ask ourselves, how do we craft this uh, level of literature in a way that comprehends with the lives that they come from. Mm. So, and this, again, this goes back to things being culturally relevant um, and his, no, culturally and historically relevant for the populations that we serve. Typically, what you would see is a lot of the curriculum is shaped from a middle-class white frame of reference. Mm -hmm. And so by that default, middle-class white children excel in it. So when you're asking low-income black and brown children to take part in this curriculum, there are going to be challenges. There, things are not going to be congruent. So again, we have to have larger conversations around how do we build out uh, literacy that is relative, it is culturally sensitive, historically accurate, and how do we use that as uh, a slingshot to push forward the, the, um, the, the goals that we need to see. Right. So you guys are doing all of those great things. So how... Are you in turn like partnering with other organizations or schools to make sure to your point you know right that you're creating this holistic experience for all students right so right now a lot of our uh, a good bit of our work rather uh, does come in the way of I would say book donations okay. um, we are or we can be uh, and we have been a, a one-stop location for when uh, if uh, if a school is uh, revamping a library um, they can connect with us and we can get them started with anywhere from 500 books or more mm -hmm. just based on you know where they want to be you know we can't we can't outfit the whole library but you know we have the wherewithal where we can order books uh, and have them delivered to that school and you know start jumpstart what their library needs to look like this is something that we did in partnership uh, with uh, Gordon uh, I think it's K through eight um, uh, intermediate uh, K K Gordon K through eight school okay. also in partnership with the Memphis Grizzlies they had a um, a library renovation retrofit I'm not sure the right term but uh, when we were there helping to push it off with 250 books and you know that kind of helped them get started and of course what we what we're looking at is we see that Gordon K through 8 may be a predominantly African American school so we want to make sure that the texts that are going in there are reflective of the students that are going to read them thereby you know we understand that 
books transmit values. Uh, and so we want to make sure that the values that we're transmitting cre- you know, recreate the positive self-esteem that we want to see in children that encourages them to read. I didn't, I didn't realize that y'all did that. That's fascinating mm-hmm. and, um, and so important. I mean, as you said, just seeing the joy of reading has to come from connecting to, I mean, initially, of course, like from connecting with the narratives and feeling like you're, you're part of a, a bigger world than, than you are. And that's, so as you guys are thinking about selecting books that have cultural relevance, what are the, pri- like, obviously, I, I assume trying to find children's authors who are black and brown themselves um how much of it is regional are you finding people from the memphis area or the state or i'm just curious like what lenses you're putting over it it it, it takes um i would say a, a larger task than what is what, what we what we may may think so just to kind of put it in perspective uh, in 2018 um over 50 percent of the books that were published for children uh, featured a character a lead character protagonist if you will uh, that was white. Um, following that, thirty uh, percent of the books featured a lead character protagonist that was an animal, hmm. and so the remaining twenty percent was broken out that featured a character of color, whether that be black, Latino, uh, Asian American, Native American. So that remaining twenty percent uh, was less than the thirty percent where you would see with animals. So it makes our work uh, of selecting books uh, that are reflective of the population. It, it, it gives it a challenge. It's not impossible. Mm-hmm. We've been able to do it. But the other thing we also want them to do is make sure that we're not uh, also sharing books that kind of recreate this um, uh, or retell this traumatic history. Every book doesn't have to be about slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, every book doesn't have to be about the worst parts of the civil rights struggle. And so we want to make sure that we're that we're doing um, books that are uplifting uh, in that case as well. So um, not a whole lot comes from, I would say, uh, local authors uh, just because I don't think the space has been fully developed yet. Mm. Uh, We do have some local authors in the space that are, I think, contributing to larger texts or maybe editing chapters in larger books. I want to give a shout out to Troy Wiggins, who uh, wrote a chapter in. uh, a Black Panther graphic novel, hmm. um, and he's you no know, Troy's local here in Memphis. So we have authors that are doing that. Uh, but when we think about just an author that has completed a, a, a children's book, you know, we have to look and find if there's any local f- people that have done that. But if there there aren't, if we can't find any, there are you know people across the nation that that we can kind of lean into uh, through the service that we use and, and and identify those people. Got it. Very cool. Well, tell us, you know, for those listening who are, you know, uh, excited about the work that you're talking about, of course, um, y'all are a nonprofit. Yes. Um, so as people want to either support you financially or otherwise or get engaged in the programming or have somebody that they want to plug in, tell us a little bit about how the public can. I assume you guys have a website. But. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, are, we do have a website. So literacymissouth.org. Uh, you can go there. We have a tab where you can donate. And to your point, you know, we are a nonprofit. Uh, any donation to us is, uh, is, uh, is, is, is tax exempt. So please uh, find, uh, I guess, where you connect in donating. Um, we, we're also looking to, you know, again, when I, earlier I said that it's, it's an exciting time to be involved in this work because we're talking about literacy across the lifespan. So in addition to donating, so please, please, please donate. In addition to donating, we want to be in those conversations where literacy usually is not present. So we want to talk about literacy and what it looks like within economic development. What does literacy look like in community development? What does literacy look like in workforce development? Um, Most recently, we've seen the announcements about Blue Oval City 
uh, mm-hmm. beginning to, you know, Ford beginning to do this investment here in uh, West Tennessee. Uh, and I think one of the articles that I read mentioned that they were looking for workers that have math skills, uh, critical thinking skills, and reading skills. So how do we become, um, you know, how do we get into these areas where literacy is a critical skill in the development of a large workforce that ultimately could lift a region out of poverty. So, and, and of course, poverty is the, is, the, is the pervasive thing that we continue to talk about in a lot of these conversations. So again, we wanna make sure that we're in, those, we're in the room when it happens, you know, shout out to Hamilton. <laughs> right? to say. Uh, and uh, make sure that you know, we're having the right conversations and, uh, and being able to bring people to the table that typically are not there. So again, yes, donate, donate, donate. Uh, if you would, uh, are you if you are a volunteer at a school and you uh, want to see, you know, new books in that school in some way, shape, form, or fashion, please contact us, and we will, you know, we will go through the process of, of making that happen as well. Uh, we again, we want to be in these different conversations around what does regional development look like uh, with literacy properly inserted in that conversation, uh, and uh, if there's, you know. We, we, we're, we're, always, we're open to just creative ways to, yeah. to partner. It doesn't just have to be a, a, a book deal or, or, or these conversations. Uh, no, we can find other ways. We, again, we can think outside the box and determine what it looks like. I think one of the most shocking things when I was looking on, like, the Literacy Mid-South website is you'll have, like, these statistics on your homepage, and right. one of them is one in seven adults cannot read this statistic. Right. And that, to me, I was like, whoa, you know, I know a lot about children's literacy and we have that conversation a lot, but I know you spoke a little bit about the adult learning program. So is that something you guys do on your own in-house? Do you have volunteers that help with that work? Yes, it's, it's a small army. So uh, <laughs> we have we have two dedicated staff that conduct the training, the volunteer training. And then to that point, yes, we do have volunteers that come okay. in. Oftentimes they are uh, retired administrate, school administrators mm-hmm. or retired teachers, uh, and they typically work with adults uh, the adults that come into our space, uh, I think they're typically at a maybe a fifth or sixth grade reading level. And again, I think uh, to to get to that next level, again, everyone has a goal they want to reach. Mm-hmm. Again, the next level at the job, high school equivalency exam, or reading to their grandchildren, uh, they want to get above that level. And to read, I think at eighth and ninth grade level, really gets you to where the, those places that you want to be. So yes, a lot of the work is done through volunteers. Um, but there are volunteers that we have trained and also that have, you know, secondary school teaching training uh, to kind of bolster what we're doing with them as well. Awesome. So you guys don't only need donations, you could use it a lot as volunteers, Uh, right? Of course, (laughs) always. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, no. I love reading about y'all's work, especially in preparation. Like, I'm familiar with Literacy Mid-South, but to hear some of the things you're talking about today, I'm just kind of like, oh, you guys do a lot for such a small organization. Yes. Well, and as you said, I mean, just looking at the intersection of literacy and workforce and literacy and poverty and just all of the things that, um, you know, we're particularly in the kind of work that we do, um, just thinking about hopefully the ripple effect of of some of this work. Um, So we mentioned at the top of the uh, show that you are new in your role. So <laughs> I, I think it's so exciting to be like the fresh leader of an organization because it gives you this opportunity to, to look at the work with fresh eyes and have the sense of, um, you know, what's possible for a very long running organization, as, as you noted. So what's next? I mean, I, again, I know you're only 10 or so weeks into right, it, so, so I don't expect wow. you to have like a huge thesis here. But, you know, as you think about, you know, dreaming big for the organization and dreaming big for Memphis in general, um, what do you think is 
coming around the corner for y'all? Sure. So we have um, a couple things that we want to kind of focus on. So one thing, uh, a little bit into the, the following year, we, we do have a, a fundraiser that we call Literatini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's where uh, we have bartenders that come to one of our partners, uh, one of our partner bookstores. It's typically been at a bookstore called Novel. And it is, a, think of it as a, a happy hour fundraiser. So these different bartenders come from different bars and they mix drinks. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a drink off. Uh, <laughs> sorts. I think I could so, compete. Yeah, think of um, you remember um, the the Scholastic Book Fair when you were having it at school. Look, don't even talk about it because right. I'm still sad that that you know isn't so, a thing for adults. So, so <laughs> here's like, the thing. listen up. Here, here's the thing: is at a bookstore, right? So it's think of the the, the Scholastic Book Fair with uh, with a little bit of booze. Uh, and so it's made right for adults, right? <laughs> so uh, we kind of you know put it in the right in the right proper age frame there. But um, so that's one thing we're looking at doing. That's going to be um, in June. I, I can have you know more solid dates uh, as we as we get yeah. close to that time. But um, the other thing is we're really looking at how do we build a, a collective impact strategy around literacy. Uh, so you may have seen uh, Read Nine Hundred One just in in, in in maybe just in passing or just mm-hmm. in a couple of things here and there. But again, when we talk about literacy across the lifespan, that means that we have to mobilize volunteers and place them in, in various uh, auxiliary groups or working groups to really focus on that. So as we talk about literacy uh, from the zero to five stage to the elementary, middle school, high school, opportunity youth adult stage, when we talk talk about what literacy looks like in each of those spaces, you know, we're looking to build a collective impact strategy that really guides everything forward where literacy mid south becomes, I would say, the central point or the uh, the, 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 the point the clearance house of, of sorts of of uh, examining what does literacy look like across the lifespan. So right now we're building out that strategy. Uh, we have you know some partners that we're bringing to the table right now. We've been in contact with Shelby County Schools and we're talking with Seed and Success as well to really build out what that looks like because again, uh, we want to do these things. We want mm-hmm. to be involved in larger conversations. We want to be involved in the positive forward moving movement of the region. Uh, but that requires many hands making this light work. So again, as we build out this collective impact strategy, just look for that. Uh, we'll start putting announcements out about that as well. But that's that's somewhat. I, those are our, our next steps. Yeah, it's ambitious, and I love it. Um, well, we were so thrilled to have you, and you, we'll have to come back in a couple of months when you've got a little more tenure under you, and you guys <laughs> are thinking about next year. And what, what again, we'd love to hear more about the the fundraisers and all of that. But of course. excited about the work, excited about your leadership. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank y'all for having me. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Your future is waiting. As a college student, you may have a thriving social group. But what about your professional network? Through Launch, we connect college students to networks and professional opportunities available right here in Memphis. The best part, it's all free. Let's get you connected. Visit newmemphislaunch.org today. Transform your city with New Memphis Fellows. Are you mid-career professional with a passion for transforming your community? Let New Memphis amplify your service. The New Memphis Fellows Program is a leadership development experience for mid-career leaders designed for high-performing professionals already excelling in their careers and positively impacting our community. New Memphis will magnify your impact. Through the Fellows Experience, you will gain concrete resources to aid in our city's progress. Apply today. Visit newmemphis.org for more information.
In the new Memphis, we never settle for the status quo. Medical advancements are part of our DNA. Did you know one in three Memphians work in the healthcare industry? Memphis is the home of several world-class innovative healthcare facilities, including St. Jude and Labonna. There's a lot to celebrate about our city. Learn more at newmemphis.org. with Jill and Will. What a nice <laughs> rhyming duo. Um, introduce yourselves on the mic so people know who they're listening. Jill. Hi, I'm Jill Shanker. Hi, I'm Will Perry. All right, I don't think they're going to have difficulty telling you two apart today. I just <laughs> think the audience is going to be able to do that. So, Jill, you are here as a representative board member for the J. Overall Foundation. Kind of tell those listening, you know, about the work you guys do. Sure. So, the J. Uberall Foundation was formed uh, after 2010 when my brother, Jay, passed away in a tragic accident. And he really just loved Memphis. And so we had people that knew and loved him approach us and say, what can we do not only to remember Jay, but to um, do things that benefit Memphis? Because Memphis was so important to him. He was on Beale Street. He was in the restaurant industry. And he really cared a lot about Memphis, particularly downtown. And he did some stuff with uh, youth in Memphis. So we had some friends come and approach us and say, we'd like to do something. And so we started the J. Ebrell Foundation, which is a grant-making organization. And we made grants in about $150,000 in the last year. So it's been really exciting. We started off where we thought we were just going to be having one annual scholarship at the Cummins Wilson School of Hospitality and Resort Management. And we had an initial fundraiser that raised so much money that we realized we were going to be doing a whole lot more. So we now partner with a whole bunch of organizations, great nonprofits in Memphis that we all know and love really well. And we fund different programs to better youth in Memphis. Oh, I mean, that's an honorable mission to have, if not, right? <laughs> like, yes. I really think so. So your foundation obviously serves the youth of Memphis. How do organizations get involved with you guys? How do they qualify? Like, what do you look for? So we accept grants at all different times during the year, and we have certain basic qualifications that are on our website, the jubrawfoundation.org, and we require them to be nonprofits, 501c3s, the programs that we fund are new programs, but the organizations, a lot of them have very good long-standing track records. Um, they're one-year grants, and they range in 10000 to $25,000. And we really try to fund programs that um, have great missions that align with things that help youth in Memphis and that just don't have the financial resources uh, to be able to take off. Well, I know, so you're a board member. For those listening um, who are not as uh, intimately familiar with the way nonprofits work, um, traditionally boards govern a nonprofit and uh, provide oversight. But I know that y'all are a very active board. Um, there, I, I don't believe there's there's a, a little bit of staff support, but I think you guys are doing most of the review and the outreach. Um, so obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a passion project for you. I know obviously it's very personal. Um, tell us just how, as you guys, start, as you kind of told the story about the initial vision and how the scope has widened and just kind of uh, being able to explore all of the different nonprofits that are making change in our community. I'm just curious how how you've changed in the last decade as you've done the work and what you've learned and what continues to motivate you to stay. Again, I mean, I know this must be uh, a, a good chunk of time that you have to invest in this work. 
It definitely is a passion project. Um, so when I mentioned that there were some folks that approached us, those folks really were Kevin and Cindy Brewer, mm -hmm. who are amazing individuals who have done so many things to better our city. And they are co-owners of Leo Events. And so that organization, their company really completely um, pro bono, really work for the organization, J.E. Brawl Foundation, and they've put on our events, they run everything, we use their marketing folks, their, um, all their staff. We have board meetings that consist of our board members and a whole bunch of people on their staff and team. So it's really phenomenal, and it is a way that allows us to use the dollars that we raise to go directly to the programs that we fund. Um, in terms of how we've changed over the years, I think we've, we've really taught ourselves to think bigger mm -hmm. um, from starting with the scholarships at Kemmons Wilson. We've really, we've really taught ourselves to look around at what organizations can we fund that are able to have the most positive impact in our community and that they really can directly help the youth. So we partner with great organizations like Reach Memphis, mm -hmm. which Will is here today. Like a, look at you doing like the great job <laughs> of the host, finding that <laughs> wonderful segue. But we really, we're such an amazing city and there's so many great um, nonprofits and individuals here who really want to better the city. And so when we profit with, when we partner with organizations like Reach Memphis, Memphis Athletic Ministries, Knowledge Quest, Star Academy, um, Pure Youth Athletics Alliance. There's so many great organizations that allow us to use our dollars to fund new programs, but with people who really have the um, responsibility and wisdom to implement the programs. Yeah, that's well, you've teed this up so beautifully because <laughs> I want to turn over to Will here. Um, Will serves on the board of Reach Memphis, That's right. um, which we love We love to see. So Will is also a graduate of New Memphis, um, so he is one of our proud alumni that we um, love to, to showcase. Um, how long have you been on the board? And just give the listening audience an understanding of, of what Reach Memphis does, because I think it's such a, um, a great uh, example of how a foundation can fuel really important work. So um, tell us about the organization. Sure, I've been on the board of Reach Memphis since I think 2014. Okay. But I'm also an alumnus of the organization. Are you really? So it's, oh, it's, that's such a beautiful story. Yeah, it's near and dear to my heart too. Uh, 20 years ago when I was a student um, and involved with Reach Memphis, it had very a single purpose. It took um, academically gifted high school students and sent them off for the summer. Uh, to give them experiences that maybe they didn't have. So I spent five weeks at Phillips Andover when I was 16, uh, which is a very different world from Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I graduated from Craigmont High School, very different world from Craigmont. The program now is much more comprehensive. Um, when I was there 20 years ago, um, the only programs really that reach Memphis, which was then called Memphis Prep, sent students to were programs like Andover, uh, 10 schools, consortium schools, Andover, Exeter, Choate, Northfield, Mount Hermon. Now the program sends students to more than 50 different um, schools um, nationwide. Um, everything from writing programs to engineering programs to drama programs, um, including schools like Andover. Uh, it also provides mentoring, uh, ACT, SAT prep. Um, it's just a much more comprehensive enterprise. Uh, Pre-professional programming uh, through partnerships with organizations like the JU Brawl Foundation, um, so it's just really a remarkable, and it, I mean, it is a five-member staff. Um, it serves public school students in Shelby County. So at, at any given moment, Reach Memphis may be serving 300 students uh, with a staff of five. So our, our staff is very staff-driven, 
organization. Our staff are amazing, and they love our students. Um, and if, if you so if you love kids and kids are important to you, you it, you'd be hard pressed to find an organization that's more fun to get involved with, uh, more enriching to get involved with than Reach Memphis. You know, I will say we we're big fans of Reach Memphis, um, and you know try to use those kids as a pipeline into our work starts at the college age, so it's sort of a perfect little bridge. Um, but I will say of and there are many great organizations in our city who are doing work with K through 12 youth. But I really have never met somebody who's more connected and passionate as an as an alum of a program than the kids that come through Reach Memphis. And that is, I mean, again, you you know, you think about the experience you have when you're 16, 17, um, but then you go off to college or you go, you know, start a life. But to see people five, 10, 20 years later say like, I believe deeply in this program, I think is is just a real testament to how deep the impact is. And no, I think that's right. I mean, we really function like a family. Um, and it is so great to talk to a kid who, you know, was in Reach in high school five or 10 years ago and see that kid come back maintain relationships with his or her cohort, uh, mentor students behind him or her. I mean, it's the, the kids are just, um, I mean, one conversation with one REACH student and you're sold. Yeah. I mean, they're just great kids. I think there's this kind of broader recognition in society and sp specifically in Memphis now that being a smart kid isn't enough. And so REACH really kind of targets it. You've done well academically, um, but maybe, uh, maybe you're a first generation college student. Maybe your parents went to college, but they went to college around home, and so they don't know what it's like if you're interested in the Northeast or the West. Or maybe you want to go abroad. Maybe you want to study abroad. Um, and so REACH steps in to really provide this kind of suite of resources that you might not have at your school or that you might not have at home. Um, and it just, uh, it really kind of amplifies the existing potential that these students already have. Mm. If you take a kid um, who, gets into Reach Memphis before Reach has touched the child. You read the, the kid's resume or you talk to the student, you know this is a gifted kid, this kid is gonna go somewhere. But maybe the kid never considered college um, in North Carolina or Virginia or San Francisco. Maybe the kid uh, liked to draw but didn't know that you could, you could study that, you could turn that into a career. Um, maybe the kid didn't know that there were other kids in his school or in her school um, that had that same interest and also had never been. So maybe they go to a program together. Um, it just really, um, and then too, I think, you know, when you're a teenager, you're in your own head a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't remember having like relationships with adults who weren't my parents or my parents' friends mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Um, and so having like a group of mentors who, who can be professional mentors, who can be adults that you can trust, who you can get advice from if maybe you don't want to talk to your mom about something that's happening at school, or maybe you don't want to talk to your dad about what's happening at school. So having kind of a cadre, not only of uh, similarly situated peers, but also adults that you can call on at a moment's notice. I mean, I had a um, Zoom yesterday with a student who's a, she's a senior in college, um, who's a REACH alum, and we were just talking. I mean, she's, she's thinking about going to law school, and I'm, I'm a lawyer, and so she was just trying to figure out, well, do I need to apply right now? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. And you could just almost see, you could just almost see her relax over the course of the Zoom. Like she just had all these questions. Her parents are college educated, but she's the first person who will be a lawyer in her family. She'll be the first person to have a graduate degree. And so it was, it seemed, I don't want to speak for her, but it seemed like just being able to talk about it and being able to hear that she had done the right things and that she could relax. She didn't need to have all the answers at this moment. 
Um, and then I could put her in touch with other REACH alum. And so we're gonna have another Zoom in a couple weeks with her and several other REACH alum um, who are closer to her age. Mm. Uh, so she didn't have to just you know hear it from me. She can hear it from her peers and she can form relationships with them. Um, it's just a really transformative. Um, yeah, the power of, of network and, and peer mentoring. You know, I, it's funny because it, at New Memphis, of course, our work is so focused on getting people, keeping people here, right? So retaining talent. And it seems antithetical sometimes for programs like this for us to send kids away. Um, but I really push back and say, actually, um, it's so important especially for those students who do have all of this potential, let them go experience the world, let them go and bring back Absolutely. just this bigger vision. Um, and what we see as we, as we kind of look at it over time and think of this um, as not just, oh, they're going away to college when they're never gonna come back. If they had this really positive experience in Memphis, if this is their home, they're gonna come back here and they're gonna bring with them not just that experience, but that passion and that willingness to invest back into other kids, to invest in their neighborhoods, to start businesses here. And I just think um, I'm excited to see this next generation because I think that there has been a bit of a shift um, where you know, 15 years ago, you might've seen great kids go away to college and never come back. And I think there's more of a magnet now um, and that boomerang, boomerang effect feels a little more um, real. As it, anyway. <laughs> it's exciting, I get excited about your work. No, I think <laughs> um, that's right. <laughs> I think it's interesting because like, so you guys are funded, obviously, by the JU Rural Foundation. So Absolutely. it kind of is this full circle moment getting to have both perspectives here with us today. So I want to hear a little bit about like how your work, Jill, contributes to the overall mission of making things like what Will is helping do at REACH possible for our city. Sure. So I think that um, one of the things that we try to do is to reach out and get additional donors to fund programs like REACH Memphis mm -hmm and the other programs I mentioned that the way that we sell the J.E. Roth mm -hmm. Foundation to our donors is we, we say we're, we're basically like an investment. Um, diversify your investments with us where yes, all the things that you're doing where you're contributing your dollars are great and all super important things, but there are so many organizations in Memphis that you may not know about. So let us mm -hmm. do some of the heavy lifting. Let us do some of the vetting. Let's use our networks to find these great people who are doing great things and give us those dollars to try to fund these new programs that really have such direct, personal, positive impacts on the people that we are hoping that will come back or stay in Memphis and continue to do great things. One of the other programs that that we fund is through Junior Achievement. Mm -hmm. And that's another program um, where the JU Rural Entrepreneurs in the month of November do a lot of mentoring and discussions within the schools and with a bunch of students all over town. So again, just trying to find people who may not know about these great organizations and the work that they're doing um, and letting them hear about those opportunities, whether they wanna contribute directly through us or even perhaps become a volunteer right. um, and mentor themselves. That's what I was about to say is that you can tell when you both speak you're very passionate about the city that we all love so much and call home. So to those listening right now that are kind of like, you know, these guys make me want to get involved in my city. How do you encourage people? Where do you tell them to start? Sure. Um, I think one of the great things about Memphis, right, it's a, it's a big city and a little town mm -hmm. all at the same time. Right. So if you want to, like, get involved and get engaged, I think it's easier here than it is in, in an Atlanta, in a DC, or in New York, right? I mean, you're literally separated by a degree from anyone with any interest that you wanna explore. 
Um, so I would say turn to like whoever is your nearest coworker or whoever is your nearest friend and say, hey, I think I'm interested in X. And I bet <laughs> within 20 minutes that person will be able to put you in touch with somebody here. Um, Memphians are, um, well, I mean, we're diverse. We're also very proud. Of, obviously, we have a great food scene. Obviously, we have a great music scene. But we also have a great museum scene, right? We also have a great educational scene. I mean, there's so many colleges and universities in this area. Um, there's just so there's a great there are great parks here, right? I mean, there there are just so many things that Memphis has to offer. And I think one of the advantages of programs like Reach and Ju Brawl, the Ju Brawl Foundation, is that they expose you to like what's great that's happening here. Um, and I think those programs also, like for the children that they touch in particular, kind of instill this this idea that I want to give back to Memphis no matter where I go. Mm-hmm. And so I think it actually it creates kind of the feedback loop that you were mentioning. Like these kids go off and they acquire all this knowledge and skill and experience. And then when they say, how do I want to pay this forward? They say, I want to pay this forward in my home. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want other kids from my school, from my neighborhood to see this and to be able to do these things. And so I think you're right. I think encouraging people to go out and explore actually makes them value Memphis more. And then, of course, there are basic things like, you know, cost of living here. It's just less than it is <laughs> yeah. a lot of other places. So, it, like, it can be cool to live in New York or D.C., but when you find that you the things that you enjoy about those spaces you can enjoy less expensively here, and you can still explore those same things here, you can still find communities here that do those things here, I just think it makes Memphis look all the better. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know... It's, it's unique that we have two people who are um, board servants versus staff. So I wanted this is actually work that's really important to New Memphis because when we talk about people getting engaged and getting involved, what that looks like in reality um, can sometimes be a little bit amorphous for somebody, somebody listening going, I want to be more involved in my community. And I think one of the things that they often turn to, which is fabulous, is volunteering. And when people think of volunteering, I think the thing that pops to mind is you know, helping in the soup kitchen on a Saturday or doing a cleanup on the river and all of that's fantastic. But as a board member, you are a volunteer. Um, These are people who are not paid to be doing the work that they're doing. Um, But it's, it's an ability to really use your greatest skills, your leadership, like what makes you the great professional that you are in your regular life. So it's something that we really encourage people to think about. So um, I'm just from your individual perspectives, like Jill, did you serve on a board before the existence of the Jay Uberall Foundation? Was that something that you, you know, was part of your life? And if not, how, how has this changed your perspective on it? Uh, yes, I have been on on several boards. I think that Growing up, I've seen my parents just be a part mm-hmm. of the community. Um, it was something that they just did. It wasn't anything. So it comes somewhat second nature because it was just a part of my growing up. We'd come home. We'd have dinner. My parents would run off to some meeting. Um, they might discuss what was happening a little bit, but they were just always in meetings. And hopefully, I think my kids are seeing that too, and hopefully they're understanding a little bit about what those meetings are. Um, but I think being on boards is so important, and it's something that everybody can participate in because we each have our own unique gifts Mm. and each board you don't want everybody being the same so there's something that everybody can contribute on a board level Um, and so if you're interested in doing something i think that i would definitely encourage people to reach out to whatever organization it is i know that boards are always looking to add different folks to their group and reaching out to those 
organizations and saying you have an interest, maybe you'd be put on a committee or you might be put directly on the board. Um, it's a matter of networking and, and reaching out to the people that you know. I'd say start with your friends and definitely get involved. I think board work is um, is very, very satisfying to me. Um, it lets me give back to the community in a way that I can use my, I'm a former lawyer as well. And so there's things that I can do and help the organizations with. Um, and it's something I really enjoy. I think that's a great point that you just brought up because I feel like to my age range, like I'm in my early 30s, like I feel like board service always seemed like this thing you had to be at the top of your game <laughs> to do. And I was like, oh, I can't just ask if you have space on your board for me. But the older I get, and obviously working at New Memphis and we work in this space, I was like, oh, I can very much just email someone and be like, hey, I have these skills to offer. Do you have a place for me on your board? And Nine times out of ten, they're like, yes, please, come. And I think I think boards and, and nonprofit organizations are starving for yes. young people to mm -hmm. be involved on the boards. I mean, every board I'm on, on the governance committee, when we're trying to get nominations for who we can be putting on the board, there's always this need for how do we get young people. There's such skills that... I think young people think are just innate, but it's social media and networking and what are the best and greatest events for us to be having that people want to attend. So I think that perspective is so important to have. And if you, you know, if you're under the age of 40, especially, and want to be on a board, I think there is such a need for it that people are looking in the community. It's an excellent point, and it's something that we're, it's a drum that we are always beating um, here at New Memphis. And as people graduate from our fellows program, like Will, or our Embark program, which is for folks even younger, um, bringing that new blood into kind of the pool of talent that serves on boards. Um, one thing that I noticed in Memphis is that if you're on one board, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm on six. <laughs> and that may not be the most effective way um, to, to contribute to an organization. So bringing more people into that space is, is a sort of... Um, uh, implicit part of our work and we want to yeah. just like nudge people in that direction so if you're listening and you thought oh you know I board service what is that um, go ch chat with the nonprofits that you support uh, if you're volunteering somewhere if you're using a nonprofit I'm like start there because um, I think oftentimes some of the best board members are board members that have been served by the organization and therefore just intrinsically understand the work the mission and have a personal passion so I'm curious, before we let y'all go for the day, you, you, of course, talked about, and I think this is so um, demystifying for folks, because I think sometimes foundations feel um, very institutional and like, what is what is this thing? Um, but y'all raise money, right? So um, sometimes for a foundation is, you know, a Bill Gates pours his money into a foundation and, and that, that's how they grant that money out. But more often than not, there are foundations that are in fact raising money. And you, ha you play this really important role, which is you are, as you said, introducing funders to new nonprofits. So you're not just funding the same people year over year, you're trying to expand people's understanding. Um, but you're also measuring their success. So there's a bit, a bit of accountability that if you're just writing, you know, a $500 check to an organization, you probably aren't following up quarterly to check in on the metrics or what the impact is, but that's a role that a foundation can play. Um, so I know you guys just had a big annual fundraiser, but tell us when y'all raise money, how you raise money, and if somebody listening is interested in making a contribution, how they could do that. Yes, thank you for that. That great plug about us <laughs> being a fundraising organization. Um, so our annual event that we have every year is the Play for J Golf Tournament. Um, and at that event, which we just had in September, we raised a little over $20,000. So we grant over $100,000 
every year. This last year, I think we actually granted $150,000. So really, we raise a lot more dollars over the year through everybody and anybody, people we know, people we don't know, people that knew Jay, people in the service industry, um, but really anybody who wants to contribute to be a part of, of the work that we do. We have a sustainability club for folks who give $1,000 a year for three years, and that's been a huge part of our dollars so that when we make grants, even though they're one-year grants, a lot of our grants, we continue Everybody has to reapply each year for that accountability portion, but the Sustainability Club allows us to let these organizations know that we hopefully, if everything goes well, can continue to fund you while the program is in place. Um, what else am I missing here? No, Can I mean, I? so if, if, <laughs> if I were just like, you know what, I've got some money, I want to park it somewhere, do you go to the website? Yes, so thank you. Go to the website, juberallfoundation.org. Um, it's J-A-Y, Uberall is U-I-B-E-R-A-L-L, foundation.org, and there are links there where you can donate. Um, we would love to have you at the golf tournament next year. We do sell out every year, but that's another super fun way to participate. Um, but really, we're just sort of a grassroots organization where we raise dollars to better the local youth in our community, and that's really what our goal is. It's pretty simple, and we meet with the – we do have great relationships with our – with our programs, we really get to know the folks and we meet with them throughout the year. And of course, on an annual basis, they have to provide us information and meet certain thresholds in order to get the dollars that we've granted them. But yes, please check out our website and we would love to have you be a part of the great work that these organizations are doing. I think you guys are a great starting point to get to know organizations too, like to Anna's point, it, to make a donation for you, with y'all and like look and see where that money goes may help you become a will and want to go volunteer <laughs> at your time at a reach or one of the other amazing things that you guys fund. So. Be like Will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's I, my mantra most days. No, be like Jill. Well, I'll, we are. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would just say too, like for people who are wondering, like where do I get started? Yeah. Use board service as a way to explore your interests, mm. right? So I'm, I'm an alum of Reach Memphis, so I would have been interested in Reach anyway. But I'm also the child of a school teacher. Mm -hmm. I was a school teacher before I went to law school. So anything involving students and children would have appealed to me. So just look for boards that do that kind of work. And that's, that's a great entry point. And don't let, um, I think too, when people hear boards, they think, oh, I don't know if I have enough money to contribute. Uh, one of the things that Jill just pointed out, it's about consistency of giving much more than amount. They want people who give consistently and regularly because that demonstrates to other funders and to other organizations how important a thing is to you. Like I've been giving to this organization for years. I give to this organization every year. It's really important to me. Those are the kinds of things that, that drive interest um, in nonprofits uh, and in boards. And so I, anyone can serve on any board. You just explore, use, it, use it as a way to explore your interests. See, I'm like, listeners, be like Will. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Well, we are so grateful to have you guys in the studio today. I'm, you know, Reach Memphis, incredible. Um, obviously, the J. Uberall Foundation. What a beautiful legacy for your brother. And just I, what a uh, what a gift to the city um, that keeps on giving. So thank you guys so much for all the work that you do. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having Bye, us. Bye, guys. That is it for today's episode, and I'm feeling inspired. Are you feeling inspired, Animal Ins? Ellis? Ab I, absolutely. <laughs> I almost forgot your third last name, so I was like... <laughs> 
one day I'm like now I've been married for three years. Yeah. Eventually I'm gonna just drop them all in. It's yeah. just a, it, it's, it had to be it's like a slow transition. transition. It's also hard for me because mine is Christy Mullen. Mm-hmm. So I'm always just like I'm like when you go from animals, I'm like nobody's gonna spell my name wrong. I anymore. still respond to animals. My- <laughs> so guys. until about a month ago, my driver's license also. Said that so. Well, you know, it's a slow burn. It's yeah. It's fine, uh, guys. Today's episode was so interesting, and just hearing about the great things going on in our community. And if you want to know a little bit more going on in our community, New Memphis is hosting our Celebrate What's Right Youth in the Arts tomorrow, November tenth, and it is sponsored by our dear friends at the First Horizon Foundation, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, and Bassberry Sims little bit about it you probably surmised from the name youth in the arts we are talking all things arts you know people like to view the arts as this extracurricular activity that's like a nice to have not a need to have that's not true the arts are needed to translate into transitional skills for children that will take through with them through their lives so please please tune in it is absolutely free it'll be on zoom you can come in your pjs you can have your sandwich while with us we're going to have people from arts memphis carpenter art garden memphis music initiative collage dance and playback memphis i mean what else do you need do you need a broader representation those are some really cool (laughs) organizations and as you said you know youth in the arts is as the name of this event, we, you know, just for people who might be new to us, Celebrate What's mm-hmm. Right is a, is a luncheon series that we do every year, and we pick something that, as the name would imply, is just going well, something that we can celebrate in our community, and this is absolutely something that Memphis is just absolutely excelling in. We are, um, through these organizations and others, building really creative ways to engage students in arts, um, from visual arts to dance. Uh, to theater. Um, So it's going to be a really fun conversation. I'm excited to listen in. Again, that is tomorrow at noon. You can go to newmemphis.org to RSVP so you can get that free Zoom link and join us. Yeah, guys, look, you don't want to miss it. I'm trying really hard not to wax poetic about the arts because you know it's a bad habit of mine. So Anna, people are going to tune in because it's a free event all about the arts happening. So we know you're going to do it. But how else can they give back to New Memphis? Yeah, so it's that time of year, folks, uh, as New Memphis kind of uh, starts to think about our end of year. This is the time that we reach out with the most rigor to our supporters, our friends, our network in general, and say, please, uh, if you have benefited from New Memphis in the last year, if you've been through a program, if you've listened to this podcast, if you come to an event, uh, we hope that you'll give back, um, that you will help fuel our mission for another year. We are so grateful to every single person who makes a donation. There is, as Christy would say, no donation too small. Um, and we, we truly mean that. It, it is not just um, a financial gift. It's a real vote of confidence for us. It means that you care about the work, that you know that the New Memphis mission is important and you want to see us succeed. So I'm asking each of you, if you are listening, to go to newmemphis.org. There is an easy donate button there at the top of the page. Um, just think about what, what gift you could make as we close out this year. It might be $5, it might be $500. I will be thrilled <laughs> to get any of your gifts. We really do appreciate um, every dollar that is put into our mission. And we absolutely could not do this work without you. We are a nonprofit. We are um, 
really uh, your investments are what make every single thing that we do possible. So newmemphis.org backslash donate. Make your gift today. Um, We're going to take some time before the end of the year on the podcast to thank some of those folks um, to make sure that we're helping tell your stories. Um, You know, you guys are the ones that are doing the great work in Memphis. You are the the Will Perrys of the city (laughs) who are making change. And we want to make sure that we're here to develop that talent, to retain that talent, to activate that talent in our community. So I hope you make a gift and uh, I'll be back next week to ask again in case you didn't have time. Yeah, guys, like Anna said, newmemphis.org. You can also follow along if you're like, hey, I want to learn more about what New Memphis does. You can follow us on social. If you're not by now, I'm going to plead with you every week. You can also donate there. So we've made it as easy as possible for you to get those dollars in. And there's also other ways to give back. You can nominate someone you know or yourself for a program. You can also just come to one of our events if you kind of want to get a feel for what we're doing for the community. If you're like, "Mm, I don't know about a leadership development program yet, eventually you'll want to do it. I promise. So with that said, we hope you donate. We hope you get involved in some way. And we'll see you next Tuesday. We will indeed. Bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.